the South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, and psychic medium, Stephanie Burke. Spirit medium, Stephanie Burke. Psychic. What do I, what do I, why do I keep screwing that up? What's wrong with me? What do you mean? It's, I'm supposed to say the same thing every week. Why can't I say the same thing? It's psychic medium. You said it right. I know, but then I second guess myself. I almost called Matt science advisor, Matt Costa. Yeah, let's not do that. What's wrong with me? I don't know what's wrong with you. Well, I screwed up the whole beginning of the show already. That's okay. So that's already my fault. For everybody that's been patiently waiting for the show to begin, I, uh, I assume that there was something wrong over with the streaming computer. and that Because Matt, Matt's like plugging things in and like running all kinds of stuff. I was like, oh man, what did I do wrong trying to get it ready? I really screwed things up. But Matt's like, no, I've, I've, I've been ready since 10. And I was like, no, oh, my fault. Just kidding. That's okay. So, I had plenty of time to uh, watch... The Dodgers get a 4-0 lead, and I'm kind of disappointed about that. So, and uh, and everybody else thought that uh, we were eating tacos. I'm not so. eating tacos. We actually were eating pizza before 10 o'clock. We each had pizza separately. Yep. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about the paranormal, as we do well each and every Saturday night. Except we've been off for the last couple of weeks. We've been all over the place. First, we were at the Parson Barnard House. Uh, in North Andover, and then we were, well, I was at Edaville last weekend, and Stephanie, you were away last weekend in Sleepy Hollow, and so we've been kind of all over the place, scattered to the winds, uh, but now we're back together. No science advisor, Matt Moniz, tonight, though. Uh, he was unable to come in, but we will hopefully have the gang all together coming up sometime soon. Again, we have, you know, there's more things planned throughout the winter, but we try to all get together on Saturday nights and come together and talk about spooky things. And tonight we're going to be talking about spooky things that are close to home. We're going to be talking Notorious New England, a travel guide to tragedy and treachery with the authors Summer Paradise and Sandra Grawl. We'll be talking about this book, which you can pick up for yourself. It's a, it's a really nice book. I mean, if you... It looks super cool. Yeah, it's it's a, it's... It's got Ooh. some great photographs. It has some uh, some great information if you're actually going to go out and visit the places yourself. And you really, when you when you get this, it's one of those books. It's kind of like a travel guide. Well, it is a travel guide. It says it right it, on it. It does. So it's like those old <laughs> travel guides that you used to keep in your car. Yep. Uh, where before we had the internet on our phones and we could just like look places up and then type them into Google Maps or into Waze or whatever and, and then just go off and figure them out. This is like the kind of book you would keep in your car right? and say, if we're ever near any of these places, you know, we're going to have to go and check them out. So I, and, and I like the, I like the s- style of the book, the size of the book. I really do book. too. I like, like the shape of, of it. It's awesome. Instead of being like a tall, thin book, it's like kind of more short and squat. You know why it's like that? Because you can just keep it right in your car, right on the dashboard like that. Yes, you could. Or the, I don't know if that's pockets. why, but yep, in the pocket, sure. On the center console. Or... If you're like me and you've got those pockets in the back of your seat. Yeah, it's perfect. Which is where I keep everything. There's like mail in there from months ago. Yeah, I Because I was just too. like, oh, I'm going to check the mail. And I'm like, okay, I'm just going to shove it in the back pocket there. So uh, and during the course of the show, if you want to call in, the number is 508-996-0500, 877-996-1420 to call in toll free. We are broadcasting solely on line because the Red Sox are in the World Series. And yes, they are. Normally, by this time of year, you know the Red Sox have had a habit recently of just being either not making the playoffs or or exiting in the in the uh, in the first round in the divisional series. But uh, you know this year they're they've made it to the World Series, so they're on the WBSM airwaves. However, we're able to take over 
not only the Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, but we're also able to take over the WBSM app stream, and we're able to kick that out to the Paranormal Radio app, which is how you're going to be able to listen to us every week going forward. If you are out listening and looking for a way to listen to us, you can use the Paranormal Radio app. We're also featured there now regularly, so all of our podcasts show up under the podcast page on the Paranormal Radio app. So if you are... You know, making a trip. If you're, you know, this is the holiday season. People are coming up. People are going to be driving to relatives' houses and going to be out doing their shopping and driving all over the place. And if you want to listen to great paranormal content, that's a a good place to get some of it because there's always something going on on the Paranormal Radio app. And of course, we also rebroadcast on the Dark Matter Digital Network. I'm I'm operating on about seven hours sleep over the last three days because I've been filling in for Dave Schrader on Midnight in the Desert. And then last night, not only did we do Midnight in the Desert, which was three hours. This this was great because I had three hours of having John Tenney all to myself. <laughs> which is amazing. But uh, then after that, we did a, a pretty lengthy after show with Keith and Michelle. Oh, really? So I went to bed at like 6 o'clock this morning, <laughs> slept for a few hours, woke up, stayed awake for about 45 minutes, fell back asleep. And so now I think I'm full of energy and Mountain Dew. So we're ready to go forward with our show. And, uh, and we will, of course, as we go through the next few months, you know, we'll, we'll have some pretty interesting programs for you. But coming up in January, we're going to have our 13th anniversary. Lucky 13. And so we got to do something for that. We're, especially since uh, I think the anniversary actually falls on the day, like the, the actual day we went on really? here for the first time is a Saturday night. So what's the date? Jan uh, J- January, yeah, January, January twenty sixth, okay. two thousand six was when we started the show, and uh, so hopefully we can come up with an idea to have some sort of a, a get together, some sort of a party. Well, listen, we said we'd do this for ten years. We said we would do this for the five hundredth show, and we haven't done anything. So I think it's deserving. So the um, the the trick though is to find a place where we can do it. And then figure out what it is that we want to do. I mean, do we want to broadcast live from somewhere? Do we want to take the night off and just party? Do we want to try to do both? You no, know, I think we should do something. I was talking with uh, I was talking with Jeff Belanger uh, mm-hmm. the other night, uh, and I said to him, you know, we're coming up on this, and we're thinking about doing some sort of a party. So I said, if we do it, you have to come down. He says, hey, um, if, I, if I'm free, I'm in. Awesome. So maybe we'll just get a bunch of weirdos together I like and just see what happens. But, I, will, uh, um, I will hopefully be nice and tan by then. On January 26th? Yes. I'll be... Uh, I'll, I'll be coming home from a very I'll, super secret scroll. I'll be the trip. same way that I am now. This is my summer tan. Is it? It hasn't faded, right? It has not. And it hasn't faded since the summer. So there's that. I'm, I'm white as a ghost. Uh, but uh, also, just to let people know, tomorrow I was supposed to be having a book signing at the Barnes & Noble in Dartmouth. My first book signing in like eight years. Because people still want Ghost of the South Coast, I guess. Yes. Uh, but however, the publisher did not get the books over to the bookstore in time. So the bookstore emailed me earlier this evening and said that they want to postpone it. So we're going to be doing that November 18th. November 18th from, I believe, 1 to 3. Uh, they just said they moved the date. I assume they're going to keep the same time. So 1 to 3 on Sunday, November 18th at the Barnes & Noble in Dartmouth. You can come on by, pick up your copy of Ghost of the South Coast, and uh, and I'll be there to 
to sign it. And I'll even I'll write whatever you want in it. If you want me to sign somebody else's name instead of my own, happy to do it. So weird. Just don't sign mine. Nobody wants that. I'm going to just start writing my name in every book in the store. Like, this is mine now. This is mine now. See that book, The Stand? I wrote that. <laughs> Can you please do that? That'd be amazing. <laughs> I told you about the time that uh, I told you about the time that I, I went in there years ago when the book first came out. I believe I heard the story. I don't remember. So I walked into I walked into Barnes and Noble. I I'd been going around to like every bookstore, doing book signings. Uh, there was a Borders and Wareham at the time. They had us come in and do like a little mm-hmm. presentation and all kinds of stuff. But nobody had reached out from the Barnes and Noble, and I knew they had the book. Yep. Because everybody was telling me that that's where they were getting it. So and I had done Baker Books, which mm-hmm. is now a parking lot, and. Uh, it's you know, not I, yet, is it? No, they started they started tearing down <gasps> they the They did not. I know. I don't even so want to see sad. it. But um, so I just happened to, to be down there. I think we had gone to the Old Country Buffet, which I can say on the radio now because it's closed. And so we walked down to the bookstore, myself and my son, who was like seven at the time. And actually, no, he was like four or five. He was five, yeah. So uh, we walked down to the bookstore and we saw the the book on the shelf and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I walked over to the manager who was working at the uh, the desk mm-hmm. and I said hey would you would you like me to sign those books because you know they have like the area of all the signed books from yep. all the local authors and I said would you like me to sign those books you know it, obnoxiously I was carrying a, a sharpie in my pocket mm-hmm. and I said uh, I'll be happy to sign all those for you and the manager looked at me and said why <laughs> And I said, well, I, I wrote the book. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to talk to the store manager about that first. I'm like, okay. I'm like, do you want to see my ID? Like, look at the photo on the back. That's me. Right. Like, do you want me to sign it? No, eh, no we're going to talk to the store manager. I'm like, okay, well, if you want to just, you know, give them a call and, and ask, I, mm-hmm. I, I can wait. Uh, no, I'll, I'll probably just wait till the next time she's in. Okay. <laughs> So I guess you don't want me to sign the book. So uh, eight years later, I think the manager finally got back to her about it. It sounds like it, <laughs> but thank goodness. I know. I, we have, there's a new um, there's a new uh, national sales rep for the History Press. Yep. And so uh, this person's out there setting up like book signings for for where they have. Yeah. So it's it's been a while since I've done one. So uh, they asked if I was willing to give a little talk. Oh, and I cool. said, sure, I'd love to uh, I'd love to kind of update people on some of the stories from the book, some of the stories of the places in the book that mm-hmm. we've we've gotten since the book came out. Because, you know, eight years of checking out Fort Tabor and Lizzie right. Gordon's and all these other places, you know, the, a lot has changed in that time. So. Right. Well, I'm not as cool as you, and I haven't written a book, but I do have some local events coming up. Um, I'm trying to think of November 24th. I will be... In Rhode Island, um, at the Gloucester Senior Center, I will be doing a gallery reading um, to help raise funds for the Ancients and Horribles July 4th Parade in Gloucester. Um, so I'm kind of excited about that, to help them out. And it sounds uh, it sounds like a fun parade. I was like, I'm sorry, what do you guys call the like, Ancients and Horribles? So <laughs> it's, a, it's a pretty cool... Um, committee i've been talking back and forth with them so that will be at seven o'clock that night and tickets will be available on ahparade.eventbrite.com so come out and see me because that's the last local gallery reading that i have for this year and i have not planned next year yet so i'm excited to do that 
and I have teamed up with uh, Candace Dalton. Uh, for those that uh, locally, you would know her as Maureen Hancock's niece. Um, she's a very talented medium. And um, Scott Porter from the Tennessee Wraith Chasers and Haunted Live on Travel Channel. And we're doing a um, a little Christmas giveaway. So we're actually raising funds for um, families that need help during the holidays. So our mission is kind of... Um, to raise as much money as possible, 100% um, of the proceeds will go toward providing families with food and gifts for the holiday season because we don't want to see any children go without. And you can go on all of our um, our Facebook pages for that or our websites. Um, but go on to um, Facebook and search The Spirits of Giving. And we have a GoFundMe page, so you can check it out there. And uh, help us give back because it's something that we feel blessed enough to um, have experienced in our life and we want to give back as much as possible so a $10 donation gets you a raffle ticket to um, win a ton of different prizes so Candace and I will be giving away a bunch of readings Scott's giving away a lot of memorabilia and different things and merchandise that he has um, from the different shows in his current merchandise now and we have a bunch of other things that we're giving away too that we haven't announced yet so check that out and uh, let's see what else I have going on want me to keep talking Nope. Okay. Nope. Please stop talking. <gasps> You're no, so mean. No, no. I'm, we, well, that's we, the local stuff. I want to cover local for sure. No, we're just getting the guests on the line. Uh, I it, saw you trying to figure it out, so I just kept going. Yeah, it looks like um, I guess they were having trouble with the VIP line, so mm-hmm. they're calling in on the regular line. So that's what we're trying right. to set up. But also, uh, too, we did add we did add Porter and yourself to the uh, yes to the Bull Mansion event coming up in a couple of weeks in November in Worcester. So check that out at SpookySouthCoast.com. The place has never been. Never been investigated before, so if you are looking for um, something cool to do that's still kind of Halloween-y, but just a couple weeks later, it's happening November 17th in Worcester. It's a it's a mansion from the Victorian age that has never been investigated. They're probably hanging up because they can hear the Red Sox. Yeah, I told I told them that they would. Um, she's so calling on the VIP line now. I think we're good now. I think I think we've got everybody. Let's see if we can bring on our guests. Let me make sure that uh, we do this correctly. Yes. Oh, uh, hello. Uh, hello. Uh, is this uh, Sandra or Summer? Uh, hold on. I think. Okay. Here we go. Uh, so, is this Sandra or Summer on this line? Uh, I'm Sandra. Okay, we have Sandra on this line. So that means we must have. Oh, I forgot to lock her in. See, so this this must be Summer. <laughs> this is Summer. <laughs> okay, I'm going to lock you in now. And now okay. if we have Sandra call back, then we can okay. lo- lock her in as well. See, can you tell that we've been off for two weeks? <laughs> yes. No, yes, yes, you can. So, so, so Sandra should hang up and call you back? Uh, no, uh, I, I already hung up he on hung her up on by her. accident. He hung up on you. Oh. <laughs> so if she wants to call back in. See, you got to press the button twice when somebody calls in so that they stay locked in and then if you press another button it doesn't drop them and I forgot to lock her in so as soon as I pressed the button to go to you it knocked her off I see nobody she's calling you back nobody ever said that I was uh, I was a good producer so (laughs) I did I did produce uh, three uh, morning episodes of the Phil Paleologos morning show this past couple of weeks with special guest hosts here on WBSM, so I didn't screw up anything with those, so I was due to have a screw-up on this. Well, it's going to work out, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I think we have Sandra on again. I'm on. Okay, now I'm locking you in. So now you're both locked in. 
Final now, answer. Now you can't go anywhere. <laughs> Not well, that we'd want to, right? <laughs> right. Well, thank you for joining us uh, on the show, and thank you for fighting with us through some of our technical and Tim difficulties uh, at the beginning of the show. I'm, I'm just really screwing up this whole thing tonight. But uh, I'm excited to get into the discussion about the book Notorious New England uh, because this is, as I was mentioning before, uh, Summer, this reminds me of those books that when you were, you know, before we had the internet and we had phones with the internet on, we would have books like this in our car that we would keep in there so that if we ever got to go to any of these places, you know, we'd be able to have them and, and find all the information about them right right in the car. Exactly, like a little wish list to travel by. Mm-hmm. And uh, is is that, Sandra, is that kind of why you guys put this together was to have, you know, one of those type of experiences for people to, to be able to have a, a book of places that they could kind of go through, almost like a, like an itinerary? Absolutely, yeah. When we talked about putting this together, it's exactly what we were talking about, um, having that available for people, because um, we couldn't always find it ourselves. It's really, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful book. Uh, Thank I, you. I love the fact that, uh, you know, first of all, it's arranged by state, which is helpful, because uh, then you can kind of go through place by place. But the first thing that I did is I went to the table of contents and I looked to see, like, of all, all the different places that I had been. And so in a way, yeah, the table of contents does kind of become a, a checklist of sorts uh, to, to be able to check out all of these places for yourselves. Uh, Summer, how did you guys d- decide which places to feature in the book? Well, we were trying to keep it a balanced project in terms of, the kinds of stories that everyone has heard about. I mean, everyone knows about Lizzie Borden and everybody, you know, has those kind of stories of, of spooky places that they want to go to. Um, but we wanted to have a nice balance of locations that were familiar, but um, some hidden gems that the region holds as well. So some of these were um, locations that um, I had visited either previously in, in previous book projects or were just um, ones that had fascinated me growing up as a native New Englander. And some of them, um, part of what we endeavored to do is to really make note of when certain locations might be more or less um, beneficial or appropriate for different age ranges. And Sandra and I both have middle school children, and we were kind of testing out some of those locations on them as well so that it really could be a potentially fairly family-friendly um, wish list of travel guide, bucket list for to travel with your family by. And, and it really is. I mean, if you if you want to take a day trip or, or take a week of going around New England, you know, these are some, not only some of those well-known sites, as you mentioned, but some of those other places that you might not have thought to visit, but also in the book, you have all the historical information of where people can go, and and Sandra, that's that's got to be, you know, a, a rewarding aspect of putting together a book like this, is to keep some of the, the history alive of some of these locations. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think we're both history buffs, and, um, I just love reviewing the, his, the historical point um, of all anywhere I go, really. Um, I grew up with my dad bringing us to different places uh, down in, D, in the D.C. area, and I think that's where it was embedded in me, the history of everything. I, I hate to be that, that picky host with the sound uh, issues, but uh, if you guys could kind of separate a little bit, I'm, I'm sure you're probably pretty close to each other. I could have mine on 
Yes, I will happily move away. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I'm just getting a double up there, so uh, I know that it's because uh, both phones are picking up the same voice. So... But but that's that's what I I love is I love the fact that New England has such a rich history beyond just the paranormal beyond just the ghost stories it has so many twists and turns of history and so many little anecdotal things that that people wouldn't know about or that you wouldn't learn about in school that are just so uniquely New England uh, so many things that are just going to uh, just add character and add flavor to these. To the stories of these locations, and uh, and and summer, that's something that uh, I think you know is very uniquely New England. I would I would absolutely agree with you there. Um, you know, it, there's a lot of history, obviously, and it is the oldest part of our nation. Um, but one of the things that I find so thrilling about New England is the level by which our citizens kind of embrace history. Um, and everywhere that we went while we were traveling and um, researching for this book, we found people left and right who not only wanted to stop and chat about the history of these locations with us, but would share their own experiences in those locations. So it was just, New England's very, very open about its kind of darker forth, um, you know, men, moments in history, and that made writing about it even even more engaging to both because we both enjoy keeping the history alive but it very much so the people and the places that we visited want their stories told and and sandra you both bring a a a love of the subject matter and and a desire to continue that history into the book but you also have very different backgrounds of how you came into this sandra tell us a little bit about yourself and and how you got involved in uh, in looking into places like this um, my background is, uh, I don't know where to start. So, <laughs> like, I've... We have um, plenty of time, so... Oh. <laughs> um, uh, from a young age, I've traveled, um, up and down mostly the East Coast, being a military brat. So, you know, we got, we traveled a lot, so that, that started my love of travel, um, but the paranormal side is around 11, 12 years old. I was, I had, had been having experiences, um, and at 12, it kind of hit me that what was happening was I was like, you know, communicating with spirits from the other side, having, uh, types of intuition and different paranormal types of experiences. And I kind of just kept that to myself till, was a, till I was about 15 and then talked to my mom about it <laughs> um, after I, you know, had time to process and it, process it and figure out what to do about it. Um, so, and just as I got older, you know, I just kept, continued to investigate, research, try to understand, you know, um, what it was all about and then increase my um, capabilities of communicating. And, and Summer, how about yourself? What's, what's your background and how you came to this project? How I came about my fascination with the paranormal is very similar to what a lot of people's are in that I grew up in a haunted Victorian house in Manchester, New Hampshire, um, and was initially quite, quite terrified by what I couldn't understand and couldn't um, quite grasp. Um, when my parents purchased the house, I was just still an infant, and the 
sweet old couple that they had purchased it from were very candid that, you know, the house was coming with a, with a ghost. That's actually why it was under, under budget for the neighborhood. Um, my parents were newlyweds and they had a newborn and they just wanted the house and they didn't truly have any sense of or belief in anything paranormal. And so they bought the house and I lived in it up until I went off in college when I was 18. Um, but they, right from the very beginning, they started to see full body apparitions and, and all of that. And it took a long time for me to stop being scared and probably around adolescence it, that kind of shifted from really being fearful and needing to have every light in the house on to going out of my way to try to figure out what was going on. It turned, you know, fairly quickly from fear to curiosity. Um, and frankly, I'm still just as curious as, as I was then. Um, I, as, you know, my love of history go, goes way back as well. Um, I'm a teacher by trade and um, it, it was always that, that, that fascination about people, people living and dead, that's always, you know, continued to leave me with more questions than answers. And I'm still asking those questions and seeking those answers even now. And so how did you two come about to write this together? How did you, how did you meet and how did you decide to work on this project? Well, I had written two previous books um, for Schiffer Publishing um, with another friend, and Sandra actually had had those and enjoyed those, um, but we had gotten a, a nice friendship together, and um, we were kind of drawn together through shared activities that our sons um, were participating in, and it was literally on the side of a soccer field as us being soccer moms when I said, hey, I'm trying to think of what I want to write for a, a new project. And um, we just started bouncing ideas off of each other. And, and so Sandra joined me on this wild ride, and um, we work really well together. So we have very different strengths, and um, that has really led, you know, led to the, creating, the creative process for this book um, was a lot of fun for us, as much as, you know, there was a lot of pride that comes, you know, and we, we, we met the goals that we had for the project, but we, we had an awful lot of fun doing it as well. And, and so Sandra, there's a lot of author's notes for, for the different locations where you discuss your visits and you discuss your own experiences at some of these places. Did you use your, your abilities and your sensitivities as part of the, the research for this or, or were you kind of just trying to stay uh, more objective as an author rather than being subjective in the experience of the moment? Um, I think we did both. Um, you know, uh, after researching, actually, we would go in without researching the history first um, to use our abilities first, and, and that's how I approach most of our investigations. Um, so I do tap into the energies that are present there, um, and we make note of all of that, and then we go in and research the, the history, which usually would match up with what we were feeling uh, in in most of these places, and and I think that that's a, a a great way to do it and a great way to approach it, so that when you're going in there, you know you you can kind of be objective and you can kind of let the let the story take you as as po as opposed to going in there with some sort of an expectation. I mean, obviously, right. some of these places you can't help it because uh, a place like Lizzie Borden's, you know, or, or right. the Houghton Mansion, you already know the story, so there will be some expectations involved in that. So, I mean, you really can't dismiss all of that history and all of the stories that you've heard that other people have had when 
you know, it's it's become part of the the paranormal lexicon. It's hard to kind of say, well, um, let's forget about that because it, it has to be in the back of your mind, Sandra, while you're in these places. Oh yeah, I, I and I um, when when some place is notorious, uh, you always say, oh, I wonder, you know, what's going to happen to me? You know, what am I going to experience? And you know, that's where the interest is, the excitement, really. And it's it's important to note too that um, you know we're talking about some of these different places, and we'll get into some of these stories tonight, and and talk about some of these locations and, and some of the experiences that you've ha- had had in these places. But it's important to note that it's not like every location summer is a is a building. Not every location is a house. There's a wide variety of different types of locations for people to visit, uh, and it's not just it's not just limited to the traditional haunted house. There's bridges, there's roads, there's forests, there's all different kinds of places. It's true, and it, it's not always, um, as you know, it's not always places that in it, in and of itself would appear haunted or spooky, like like you say. Like, you know, you should, there's, you know, if you're, well, unless you know that the Bridgewater Triangle or Bennington areas, the woods around them have, you know, properties of their own, you wouldn't necessarily think that that would be something you could do on a fall day if you were looking to do something spooky. There are certain places that... You know, you've seen on television that have notorious backgrounds or or even just something as simple as a cemetery that you would think, oh, well, you know, perhaps that is a spooky place, Jen, based on, you know, everyone's understanding or kind of a general consensus of people, whether they're interested in the paranormal or not. Um, But, yeah, there's a lot of really interesting places, even just, you know, Random roadsides that can be just as active as any other place. So we have we there's a variety of places we cover, and and not every place is, um, you know, not every place is something where the story is so um, readily available. You know, some of these places are you don't know the reason why they're haunted and you can only kind of speculate based on on some of the the research that's been done and some of the experiences that people have had but there there are places where you just have to say uh Sandra it's just a weird place like there you, there might not be a reason for the activity that happens there it's just some places just are strange yeah the um energy it's based on like an energy that is present in, in certain places. I mean, I've, I've, same as summer, I've lived in a place that was haunted for me. And another interesting thing is whether people are open uh, energetically to it or not. I've lived in a house um, that was 125 years old that was haunted for me, but not for anyone else that lived there. Hmm. Um, no one else noticed anything, but, you know, it was very haunted for me, and I saw spirits and heard spirits and interacted with them. Um, I, and so I guess it just depends on number one having the energy there, and then number two being open to it. So, Summer, why do you think that there is uh, so many different places, so many variety of places uh, that are haunted? Why is it that it could be anything from you know the woods to to somebody's home? Is it because there's, I mean, just that energy is all around us, or do you feel like? There's there's something about New England that has a kind of a, what I like to call kind of a stain to it. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, and I think that's a perfect kind of uh, way to reference it. There is something about the land itself that you know there's an indelible stain on it that seems to just 
capture and retain these energies and these memories into these locations. Um, I think that's why you do so often find, um, you know, when you, if you have, um, you know, if you're investigating and you have families that have called you in and they'll say to you for saying, there's no real reason why, you know, anything, you know, nothing bad ever happened in this house, but for whatever reason, this place still is spooky to me. I still feel like something's going on here. And I think, there is part of that that just the land is so old in New England and so many layers on, upon layers upon layers of experiences and people have traveled onto that. And I, I really do think that it is as simple as, as you say, there's a stain to this land um, that just makes it unlike other areas of the country. And a, and a big part of that stain uh, for a lot of these places, uh, unfortunately, is that there is tragedy associated with some of these places. Mm-hmm. And and one of the most tragic places, Sandra, is the the uh, the Houghton Mansion in North Adams, mm-hmm. Massachusetts, which I know that I've had one of my pr- most profound paranormal experiences. But in the book, Sandra, you mentioned that you had one of your most profound experiences there as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, that place really has a lot of intense energy, um, on different levels there. I mean, we interacted with, um, spirits of people that lived there. We believe that might have been part of the family that lived there, of the Houghton family. But in another part of the building, we, there is a place where you walk through the veil, you know, um, where you're able to interact on the other side with spirits. We, I, we, it was it was quite an experience. I mean, um, I saw anything from, you know, just regular old spirits uh, to shadow people, which was... I had never really seen them like that before. Uh, there was multiples, and it was very... It was creepy and scary. I mean, it takes a lot for me to get scared. Um, that was pretty scary. And it was in a small room, too, so I was really creeped out. I, I, uh, and they were, like, kind of creeping behind one of the guides that were showing us around. I've got a big smile on my face right now because I had kind of the exact same experience uh, at the Houghton Mansion. Uh, yeah. L- well, let's let's take a little bit of a step back and, and kind of tell everybody, Sandra, the story of, of the Houghton Mansion and, and why we think that it's haunted. Well, um, the tragic part is uh, the family story. Um, Do you want me to jump in, Sandra? You want to jump in? Just yeah, and this one, the, the mansion's one of my favorite places. <laughs> oh, mine too. I know how it goes when you have two people that work on a book. Some people, it was their their story, and some, you know, I know I'm, Chris Balzano and I went through this all the time with the haunted objects book. I'd be like, oh, why don't yeah, you feel yeah. that one, Chris? And I, it's funny, though, because we both had really, we both um, consider the, the mansion one of our most um, significant um, interactions yes. w- were there, too, at different times in that same night. Um, but for those who want kind of a refresh on um, the story of the mansion, A.C. Houghton was the first mayor of North Adams, and towards the end of his first tenure as mayor, he had the mansion built, um, and he lived there with um, his wife, Cordelia, and his daughter, Mary, and um, some live-in staff, including the chauffeur, John Winters. Um, They 
previously they had had horses on the property and carriages and whatnot to get around the city. Um, but he had been trained recently to learn how to drive, and the family had um, a brand-new vehicle. Um, was it a Pierce Arrow, I believe it was? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had gone on a pleasure trip um, with some family friends up for a ride up in Vermont, and um, there was some horses by the side of the road, and uh, Mr. Witters had to try to navigate around them and just, touch the um, loose gravel right on the edge of the roadside and the car rolled and um, it was a, a horrible, horrible accident. The family friends died on the scene. Mary died that same day at the hospital um, and AC went home back to the mansion um, to be cared for by his wife Cordelia um, and he, I think he lived 10 days or so past the dates of the accident, but did pass away on the property. Um, John Witters had been injured um, but had, and had returned to the property as well, um, but being overcome with grief, he did end his own life in the barns, which are no longer on the property, but they're on the property because um, he was uh, feeling quite badly about the accident that had happened. So for multiple reasons, I think that multiple uh, members of the family, most specifically Mary and John Witters, are still on the property. This conflicting. Some people think that um, AC is still hanging around the property. Neither Sandra or I seemed to make much contact with him that day. Um, but when we were there, the, the property was still owned by the Masons, by the um, Lafayette Gray Gray Walk. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking yep. on the yeah the lodge, and um, so there was there was that kind of overlay to it as well because you know there was lots of masonic business going going on in the property and they were wonderful excellent stewards of the history of that property and they were you know quick to dispel some of the the rumors in terms of the hauntings and whatnot um there but I would share that my most profound paranormal experience to date occurred there as well. We had been wandering around um, with two of the Masons, the current master of the lodge and another one of the Masons. And that Mason um, was a medium in his own right. And um, he had been, you know, sliding in little comments here and there as we were wandering around the property um, that Mary Houghton had been wandering around with us and making comments. It was very hot the day we were there. We had on, you know, shorts and tank tops and we were a bit scantily clad in her opinion. <laughs> um, and, uh, but she was, she was fond of us or whatnot, but we went into um, her chambers, her double room there, where it seems to be very active when teams go in. Um, but we walked in and the gentleman, um, the mason, started chuckling, and I just turned to him, and I asked him why he was laughing, and he said, oh, he wants, she wants you to sit in that chair right there, high-backed, white-upholstered chair. Um, and I just looked at him, and I said, what? And he goes, he wants you to sit right there. And I I was game. That was fine. Um, so I perched right on the edge of the chair um, with my knees together, just perched. And he goes, no, just sit back, just sit back. And so I said, okay. And so I slid back in the chair. And no sooner did I do so that on my right shoulder, my bare shoulder, because I had a tank top on, um, a 
palm of the hand and all five fingers one at a time curled around my shoulder Mm. um yeah and i came flying out of that chair (laughs) i will tell you that it was not that i was scared because there was nothing scary about it per se it was just so shocking and it was i would have sworn um had i not we had there was dim light i could see enough i had enough night light in my eyes that i could see but that someone had distinctly a human being had you know put their hand down on my shoulder it was that clear um it was it was pretty outstanding, um, and then the mason it was the the tension was quickly broken because then the mason was laughing because apparently that was exactly the reaction that Mary Houghton had been hoping to <laughs> receive from me and that I had been the evening's entertainment that night, which I was glad to do for the opportunity to have a nice walk through that building. <laughs> and then you had asked me to go ahead and have the experience, and I was like, no, I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sit down, sit down. <laughs> well, part she of that want to. part of that location is uh, that you know they they built a Masonic lodge kind of in the middle of this mansion. There's there's this huge Masonic hall. Uh, it just it, it's almost like you open a door and you're like, oh, what is this doing here? And and uh, Sandra, you mentioned that your experience with the shadow, you saw shadow people, and yeah. and uh, and that this happened in a in a secret area. I'm assuming that it was it was behind the lodge, like toward the back end of the lodge, or I guess what would be the front I of the lodge. Haven't been in that house. I don't know if you went into that area. This this area was under construction at the time that we were in there. It's behind and above. Uh, above it, it was, was behind. It was behind. Yeah, it was behind the whatever you want to call the lodge itself. The Masonic lodge. So you it was go like behind and above. You go yeah. behind. So you walk through the lodge. You go behind right. where the where they would stand at the front for the for the uh, for the cer- ceremonies, mm-hmm. and then they have yeah. that little area behind there where people yeah. go in as part of the procedure. But the instead side, of yeah. going in there, there's a staircase that you go up. Did you go up the staircase yes, or was this? It was upstairs. Yeah, yes. it was upstairs. Same spot that I, and when you walk up there, you walk up the stairs and there's like a long, like little hallway and at the end yes. of it is like a little exactly. more of a wide open area. Exactly. Oh, oh my God. That's exactly where I had my and I, most and profound I, experiences. And I was so dizzy in there. I actually had to step back out. Sandra stayed in with the one Mason and, but like I walked through that door and I went, whoa, like the, my world just like, Fun, and I had to back out because it was so off-putting. So, so Sandra, right. describe to me what you saw there and what you were feeling. You know, having having your sensitivities and abilities. What were you feeling when you went up there? Um, so the same sort of thing. Um, I have I had um, felt the sensation of walking through the veil before. So as soon as I hit that wall, you know, walking through, I knew what that was. And yes, it's it's it gives you a lightheaded feeling, dizzy feeling. Um, I just kind of powered through it because I wanted to have the experience. And um, when I walked further into um, one of the rooms, and I think I remember it being some sort of it was a cement hallway, and it was a very small room. Mm-hmm. Walked into there, and that's where I immediately one of the uh, uh, masons was standing in front of me, and he just said, "So, what do you feel in here?" Because he wanted us to you know, he, to let us know what he what we were experiencing. And I immediately saw one after the other, one, two, three, um, the shadow people walking behind him. And I was freaked out, and I, I guess I got it out of my mouth that I said, well, I see some shadows behind you. And <laughs> there was a window, a small window behind him as well, which I could see the shadows pass by that window as well. Um, so it was really freaky. Uh, 
and I did not want to stay in there too long. <laughs> and um, we exited out of there. Um, I just remember having a very dizzy feeling for a while after walking out of that room back down the hallway. Um, and I, I did want to say something about there was a difference. Um, I connected more strongly. We did definitely interact with Mary, but I connected more strongly with the Masons. Um, when I walked into the lodge, into the large open space where they have their ceremonies, um, immediately I felt and saw like spirits just flying around there. Um, and they were um, proud and want, were trying to convey to me the, the pride that they had about being a Mason and that that place was um, a place that was very sacred to them and important. And it was very interesting, uh, the feelings that I got in there. And, and just to take a step back, so when you were in that area um, mm -hmm. where, where the shadow people were making themselves known, so if you had come up the stairs and gone into that area, you take a left, there's like a, a little bit of a hallway, and then there's yeah. that room that's kind of off to the left. That's the room that you were standing in? That is the room. And you saw the shadows walking behind the mason kind of coming outside that room. So let me tell you that when we were there... Um, I had found that area, I'd, and what I love about the the Houghton Mansion is you can open a door and find a room that you never knew existed. You know, you can spend hours just opening doors, and so I, we were all in that area, and we were standing. There was probably I don't know, maybe a dozen of us up there at the time, and we're standing on either side of that hall, watching a procession. We had seen shadow people kind of all night long, but as we were standing in that area, we watched a procession of shadow people walk between us. And we could make oh, them wow. out three-dimensional beings standing in front of us. And I actually said to somebody, right, uh, our, our friend Alicia was right across from me, and I said to Alicia, I said, are you seeing this right now? And, and of course, she nodded yes, but as I said that, one of the shadows turned and looked at me because oh, it, it heard wow. me speak. And then they just kept walking in their procession like they were going through a ceremony. And then yeah. later on, we were up there with another group, and we were at the very far end of the hallway. And uh, we were just kind of standing there waiting to see if any more shadows would come out. And there was one shadow that was down at the end. And, you know, there's that window at the top of the stairs, too. And, right. and so we're seeing something kind of moving past that window. And we got to kind of goad it to come down to where we were standing. And I eventually was able to stick my hand out and have this shadow person approach me and grab my hand and shake my mm -hmm. hand. Oh, oh wow! It was amazing, and and before that, you know, I was kind of like one of those people that would provoke all the time. You know, Stephanie oh. can Stephanie can tell you I was not always the nicest guy in the world on investigations, nope. but that changed me because when that happened, I just I started crying, and I said there really is like a, a human side to this and and what it is that we're doing, and so it was it was probably my most profound experience in the paranormal. I would have to say wow. that was probably your turning point. For it definitely was investigation because you'd seen what I had done and you kind of just still did your own thing, but I wasn't with you that time. That was like the one time I wasn't. And, um, you came back and just totally changed. Like you couldn't wait to tell me about it. So that was a pretty cool experience for you. 
And I wasn't the only person that, that felt it either. Another investigator, Frank, actually got his hand shaken too. So it wasn't, it wasn't like it was just something that I kind of imagined. You know, it was, it was something that definitely really, and people, the people that were with us could see this thing standing there shaking my hand. And it's just, it's, it's such an amazing place. And I'll, I'm glad that I, I will always have that story, even if it looks like we might never get the chance to investigate there again. I know I I am disappointed and we and we did actually you know have to make a, a note of that right before the book went to print that um you know they had relocated the lodge and that as as of now that the current owners don't um plan to make it as available um but we did include the cemetery as well because we do still want people to be able to go visit the family and um the cemetery in and of itself has has a nice bit of history there where Adjacent, I mean, technically on the family plot, but off at a distance, you know, John Witters is still there with the Houghtons. And that's, you know, it, it, it's interesting. But, yeah, that that place, that building is just, it hold, seems to hold so many different types of people and energy. And, you know, that's not even to talk about the childlike spirits in the basement. And, you know, uh, there's a lot going on there. there there's a lot. I, I do tend to think that at some point that that for some by some means that that building will become available to to people again i hope so anyway don't you i mean i i i looked into at the time uh trying to get a group of investors together to to buy it when it went up for sale and i know that john zaffis was looking into buying it too that he wanted to put his museum there but the, the the city of north adams is just was giving him so much trouble about running a museum out of there but um, I, I I honestly believe that whoever's there, if they're not interested in the paranormal, if that's not something that they want to pursue uh, while while owning the property, they're 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 going to be sorry because the paranormal's not going to stay quiet there. The the ghosts are not going to stay quiet, and they're going to mm-hmm. have to eventually either open it up or you know you'll see it back on the market sooner rather than later. Yeah, I I think either one of those are coming down the pike. Yeah, I mean, I, I I tend to see that it, I would not be surprised to see it go back on the market. And uh, you also went to some other interesting place. I mean, that's the great thing about Notorious New England is because so many of these places we've been to, we've had some of our uh, some of our spooky South Coast and Legend Trips events there. Uh, but one of the places that we went to that, I, that the only time I've ever been there was actually just for a photo shoot for our evening of ghost stories in New England legends. But you visited the Precious Blood Cemetery in Woonsocket. Oh, yeah. And I think that the story of the American stigmata is something that I don't think a lot of people are familiar with that story. I, I don't know who wants to field that question. Do you want me to talk about that? So this Sandra actually um, became ill that trip. And I actually ended up doing that leg of our trip on my own. Um, that story was was really interesting. That wasn't I wasn't raised Catholic, so the whole idea of um, stigmata was fairly new to me in any kind of context that wasn't associated with like a horror film. Um, and this Rose um, Rosemary Farron, that was just a really really interesting. Um, there's still there's still a small organization that's trying to um, get her uh, name up for canonization and um, as a saint. And it's just that a child who moved from all over. She was a local there in the Woonsocket area um, who did seem to have um, mysterious wounds that would appear 
even under supervision um, in the same areas that, you know, Christ had. So she would have wounds in her hands and her feet and, uh, and you know, a, a ring of uh, thorns would come up around her um, head, you know, in, indentations as if there had been a, um, a, a thorn a thorny crown placed on her head, um, and she suffered greatly um, and then died young, and she is buried there um, at Precious Blood Cemetery. Um, kind of a, a on a weird little aside, um, I, I found her story interesting. I wanted to include her um, in the book um, because of that, because I, I don't didn't think a lot of people knew of her story. Um, but... She was my last stop before um, I was to come back to Maine that day, um, and I was having to stop a little earlier than I had intended to um, because while um, over um, at Slater Mill, I had actually rolled my ankle on a uh, in a part in the parking lot out at the Slater Mill. I had run, ran, run, uh, sorry rolled my ankle and was hurting pretty good I, I i twinged it pretty good and uh i actually had called sandra and said well i'm trying to find um you know a pharmacy so i could get some advil and get a, a you know an ace bandage so that i could at least drive back safely um and on my way before i could make it there i i happened upon the cemetery already planning to be there but actually the cemetery ended up being closer to me than the CVS that I was intending to go to was, um, and I got out of the um, car, and I was only there about 10-15 minutes taking photographs in the cemetery. It took me a little bit to find her stone right there, um, and but I had wandered or hobbled more likely um, to take pictures of pictures up at the top of the hill of those um, beautiful monuments. And when I found her stone down at the end, because they were it was flat a flat stone to the ground, um, my ankle stopped hurting. And I can't explain why that happened, but almost instantaneously from when I found her stone, my ankle, um, the ankle pain went away, and I never did end up having to go to CVS to get Advil and an ace bandage. So I don't know what to make of that. Um, I don't know if I got a little um, gratuitous, uh, I don't know, I got some some healing i don't know but whatever was present in that cemetery was glad that someone was stopping to pay attention to that stone which i guess i was extra glad to have done so then i I spend a lot of time in cemeteries and and go to different cemeteries but this one just has such an interesting feel to it um and especially like the area of the the pothier monument that that big Mm -hmm. monument that's in the middle of the cemetery uh, where we did some of our photos, I was lucky enough to be there with Andrew Lake and Carl Johnson, who are two of the the researchers that are from that area and are frequently, mm-hmm. you know, sharing the legends of there. And they were telling me how you know you can knock on the door of the Pothier Monument, and uh, and you'll hear a knock that comes back. And oh. um, we were, I knocked on the door and I didn't hear anything. But then later, when we were standing up there trying to take some photos, I could hear some sort of a banging that was happening uh, in the area of the door. But at that point, I was, you know. I was uh, I was just modeling, so I couldn't go yeah, check it out. You were modeling, then yeah. not investigating. <laughs> but uh, it certainly is a place. And you'd mentioned being at Slater Mill, too. That's another one of my favorite places. So well, we, we've done numerous events there over the years, uh, but it was when we were practicing for that stage show that we would actually have the most paranormal things happen, that we would just be hanging out up in the, the – uh, 
you, you know, on the on the second floor of Slater Mill where they have like kind of the 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 area where they'll do different events and teach different classes. Yeah. And we we had that room to ourselves to to rehearse for our stage show, and we would have. You know, people walking up the back staircase. We would have all kinds of bangs and noises, and, and the, the, it's a place where there's just always seems there's always something going on, paranormally speaking, when you're at Slater Mill. That place buzzes with activity. Every building, every building had different things going on. That I, I, I yeah. That if you think and any of the locations that are in the book, I think that is the location that I am most eager to return to and play around in again. Sandra, what's your favorite location out of all the places that were covered in the book? Well, we had been talking about that recently. You know, it, it's really hard to pick a favorite. Um, but I guess tonight I'm going to say... <laughs> Uh, Dogtown. Really? That's not what I would have thought you were going to say. <laughs> I thought I was going to say Wilson Castle. It's, it's, I love Wilson Castle. It's always going to be on the top, top of my list. Well, tell, tell us about Vermont. that then. Before we get into Dogtown, tell us about Wilson All Castle. Right. So, Wilson Castle, is, some would argue that it's not a castle, it's a mansion. But I think it's, it's a castle. It was uh, meant to be a castle. Uh, in... Uh, Proctor, Vermont, outside of the uh, ski areas there in the Green Mountains. And it is just, it has a homey feel. Um, do you want to hear some of the story about Wilson Castle? Sure, yeah. All right. So, Wilson Castle. Was originally built in 1867 by a local doctor in the area in Proctor, Vermont. Um, he built it on commission of his wife that he had met over in England. And um, it was a, it's a huge place. It's all red brick. Um, it's just overwhelming when you walk up to it. Uh, and immediately when we when we came up to it, um, so like immediately when I go to a place, I tune in sure. to it, and um, I immediately felt someone in the upper left window of uh, a turret. There's a turret there. Um, it is in inside. It's a bedroom. We found out. But so when walking up to the castle. Um, which it was under construction and still is uh, right now. The current owners are um, endeavoring to completely restore it back to its original glory. Um, so there is a lady that stands in the window um, and that watches uh, and watches over the house. And so when you walk in, it has huge hallways huge staircases um it has a gigantic fireplace in the hall um which is a lion's mouth uh and and must be beautiful when it burns um it was not it was during the summer when we were there so it wasn't being used but it's like a big gigantic lion's mouth 
Um, it just has a lot of impressive um, carpentry tiles from Italy and different places in Europe. Um, the uh, the original owner, um, they passed away, and well, actually, Lady Johnson, um, the wife, passed away first, and the doctor could not keep up with the cost of the maintenance um, in the winter. It's very it was very costly to keep that warm, as you could guess, uh, and. I guess it had gone. It it gone. It went into the. It went back to the town, and um, the current owner's grandfather bought it for the amount of twelve thousand dollars for the amount of back taxes, hmm. um, and decided that he was going to be restore it for his family, um, and. So that began another round of um, restoration. Well, the current round of restoration began back then. Um, he had actually opened the house in the 1960s um, for tours. Um, this gentleman was in the military, and as he went overseas, uh, as he was deployed overseas, he sent things back. Um, from many different countries. Um, so the house is, is full of all kinds of um, things from overseas. There is actually a chair in there, um, I believe, from China, um, that is, is roped off. They will never, they, they, there's a sign on it that says do not touch, and they won't let anyone touch it or sit on it. It's in a corner with a rope around it. And the legend around the chair is that it's cursed and that anyone that does touch it or sit in it um, would receive bad luck. Mm. So, and they have it there. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't re haven't removed it. Maybe they just don't want to touch it. <laughs> well, that would make um, sense, yeah. They have, there's a lot of interesting different things in that house. It's also the place that I inadvertently really pissed off a spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling very well. I have a bad habit of inadvertently or unintentionally uh, offending ladies of the house. Um, in this case, while we were there taking our photographs for the book, we were up in that room that Sandra was mentioning that she was initially drawn to uh, that had a turret inside it's called they call it the pink room because it is the pink bedroom and it was the the bedroom of the uh first lady of the house lady johnson and it had a ensuite bathroom in it and this place had some phenomenal 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 um stained glass windows and i was just camera around my neck be bopping around i really wasn't even truly in an investigative mode i was photographing you know the, the beautiful interior of this building and just wandered unannounced, just bebopped right into the bathroom and quickly found that that was not all right of me to do. Um, I felt physically pushed back out of the room. And so I had kind of like walked back into the main bedroom um, and called to Sandra, who was in the room next door, um, who was able to make contact uh, with the woman then. And it was clear that, how was it phrased to you, Sandra? 
Well, um, <laughs> I clearly heard her say, and I'm not sure, I think she was speaking to someone. She wasn't speaking directly to me, but I heard her say, I like the brunette. I don't like the blonde. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite interesting. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I know that feeling very well, because usually I'm the one that's not liked by the spirits when we go places. And yes. Stephanie can tell you firsthand because she's the one that talks to them, and <laughs> I'm sure they tell her things about me that she doesn't bother to let me know later on. As long as you behave yourself, you're usually pretty good. I'm better now. You're you're way better now. There's still some questionable moments. Yeah, there's there's always going to be those. There That's, doesn't have to be. Listen. <laughs> no, you listen. Sometimes when you're investigating and you don't have the ability to just speak to them like you can, sometimes you got to try some things to get them to, to respond. I mean, sometimes you have to try it anyways, even if you do what I do. But, you know, there are times where you get yourself in some stuff. I do have a tendency to do that, yes. And then you don't listen to me but when I try to fix it. Look at this book of all places now, this Notorious New England book, all new places I can go and get myself into stuff. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> new stuff, new problems. Absolutely. I, and, and, and one of the places that I was uh, flipping through and I noticed uh, that you guys covered, and it's something that uh, I'm fascinated with, and that's the idea of the Bennington Triangle in Bennington, Vermont, because we live in the Bermuda. We're going to the Bermuda Triangle uh, in May. We'll be having the Wicked Waters cruise from Boston Ooh. to Bermuda, and people can come and cruise with us through the Bermuda Triangle. But uh, we live in the Bridgewater Triangle, uh, which is you know vastly becoming kind of the second most well-known triangle. But the Bennington Triangle had that that distinction for a long time uh but it seems like these days nobody really knows summer about the the bennington triangle and what it's all about well there's a lot of things that occur in the bennington triangle that also occur in the bridgewater triangle um there's something again just about those areas that for whatever reason seem to kind of attract um the same kind of stories of you know, traditional ghost stories um, to extraterrestrial life to, you know, Bigfoot and um, all kinds of things. And, and Bennington, one of the, uh, the urban legends there is that there is a rock, a large rock that is a um, larger than a human size and can snap up a human. Um, there's been a ton of disappearances that have come along um, through their coming through the region, including um, a, a gentleman who lived at the Vermont um, uh, linking the uh, uh, veterans home and between two bus st bus stations in the area um, disappeared from his seat on the bus. Um, there's been a fair bit of um, young women who have gone missing from the um, from Bennington College. Uh, it's just this whole, a whole handful of things that happen in that region, much in the way that it does um, down by you guys in, in Bridgewater. Um, it seems that there's a fair, though no one has a, a real idea. There's been a couple of documentaries about the area up there, and there was a, um, a uh, part of the uh, war history. There was a battle of Bennington that occurred there, but the, the reigning theme about what's going on up there um, in terms of the triangle, is that it has some Native American roots that um, people haven't quite 
figured out all of all of that yet. But that seems to be where people are thinking that there's some um, disturbed um, Indian burial grounds in the area of Bennington that has now seemed to become a magnet for kind of all things otherworldly. And uh, and there certainly seems to be no yeah no shortage of of different types of stories not only from the Bennington Triangle but just kind of from that whole uh, from the state of Vermont I mean there's there's a lot of different weird paranormal things that happen there and and uh, there also seems to be a, a power to it I th- I th- honestly think like a lot of this stuff that we encounter here in New England it predates even the Native Americans being here I yeah. think that there's just something about this land that. Uh, that has uh, that has this power to it. I agree. I, I think you're right. I think I, I I hope that over time we that might become more and more clear why that might be as people continue to research. But yeah, there's just a, a real oddity uh, for no other you know better choice of words about this side of the of the country and the, the world. Right, and um, one comment that does come to my mind is Vermont. Vermont is a very interesting place to me. I have never really spent a whole lot of time in Vermont before traveling through these places. Um, It's really green. I now understand why they call it the Green Mountain State. Um, But, and I don't want to offend any Vermonters, but as we traveled through these places, totally felt like, the hills have eyes kind of thing <laughs> no me i get it, it really you know what i mean i i felt watched all yeah you the don't time. want to break down you don't want to break down in vermont in, in the woods <laughs> yeah we got lost on a couple of dirt yeah, we did. <laughs> with no cell service and there was not a soul around but i constantly felt watched in the woods so it was it was weird at one point, I had I had gone onto the Appalachian Trail from the trailhead um, by near a location where one of the disturbances that Sandra wrote about in that chapter had set off on a little afternoon walk on, and um, I didn't go very far into the woods before I and I was on a path or was right along the river. I was on a marked path. Um, I didn't go very far in where I had definitely I had that very, very overwhelming sensation of like, oh, my God, there are like 100 people like hiding behind trees watching me. And ironically, when I came out, Sandra looked visibly upset. And Sandra almost, it takes a lot to unnerve her. Um, but when I got back to the car, it was that, you know, I had, if I had stayed just a few more minutes longer, she was, she was starting to get nervous that I was gone too long. You know, it even, you know, it was just easy for her to even make, you know, the mental leap to go, oh, maybe she disappeared. You know, that I, maybe I had added, joined the list when I was probably only gone, you know, less than a half hour, but it made her very nervous to have me out of her sight in the woods. Well, you know, yeah, and- sorry, go ahead. Oh. Um, I would, and I had stayed back at the beginning of the trailhead because my uh, we had done a lot of hiking and my knee was acting up, so I let her go ahead go ahead in. Um, but the and it's interesting the way we work when we work together. Um, I can even if she's investigating separate from me, I can sense and vibe um, some of the things that she might be feeling. And yeah, I totally after a while I was like, hmm, I think she should turn around right now. And I was just getting that weird vibe. And then she had come out and told me that she stopped at a certain point um, and decided to come back out. <laughs> hmm. 
Well, I mean, we, we can talk about like all these different, uh, you know, um, historical stories, all these different stories that come from ancient times all the way to, you know, even the modern era. But one thing that you guys don't shy away from in this book is, is covering some of the more recent tragedies. Uh, you know, you have stuff that's from, the lifetime of people that are reading the book, pe- things that they can remember from their own lives, like that, like uh, Krista McAuliffe and the and the Challenger tragedy, and you know these other more modern murders or suicides, what have you. And and one of the things that's featured in the book, and and I I wonder if there was like some hesitancy to put this in there and to, and to include it in the book, but the Sandy Hook Elementary School is in the book. Was, was that something, uh, Summer, where there was some question about whether or not it should be included in in, in this book? Um, we had several of those kind of uh, discussions. Initially, we had um, ha- we had visited some of the graves of um, the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing, mm-hmm. and then that started to feel too new to us. Um, and then when we were talking about Sandy Hook, um, I you'll notice that um, we don't talk about the perpetrator at all. Um, that we don't give, you know, um, that any, any kind of, um, don't, that's not how we want to be, uh, don't want to give them any additional notoriety. Um, but we were both pretty moved by, um, the ways at which the communities that have been impacted, um, by that tragedy have memorialized. People were very interested in, in retaining people's stories, and um, the Sandy Grounds playground, how there is a playground for each of the victims that are all unique to them. So um, we went to um, Victoria Soto, one of the teachers who had passed. We went to both her grave and her her playground. um, As uh, Hers was really neat because her favorite color was pink, and she loved pink flamingos and Christmas. So if you go to her playground, um, it is has Christmas trees all around the perimeter that are decorated year round. The entire playground is pink, um, and that you know her tombstone is a giant um, pink flamingo, um, and it puts the focus where uh, it was very tragic, and none of us will forget that. But it puts the focus where it should be, which is on the victims. Same thing with um, we went to in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They have Josephine Gray's playground. And Josie um, was a student with special needs, um, and it had that playground, and she left the beach. And so her playground is right at the ocean's edge. Um, it features her own artwork, and the entire playground is handicap accessible. So you know, we were kind of moved by, um, you know, both not wanting to forget about that tragedy, but also to kind of highlight the ways that, um, you know, with proper care, you can, in a very dignified and moving way, memorialize the people and make making sure that we don't forget the people associated with those tragedies. And uh, one thing that I, I'm not sure if a lot of people in the paranormal world know or remember, but I think everybody knows the name of, of Jeff Belanger. He's one of the, the most noted yeah. paranormal researchers, uh, and he's also one of the founders of the Newtown Memorial Fund because uh, he actually, you know, he's he's from that area, and, and he went to high school uh, in Newtown, and so he's very well connected with that community still to this day. And so he was part of that that you know, creating that fund help uh, with the families and to help honor the, the victims of that tragedy. 
But, I mean, that's the thing is, you know, the book is Notorious New England, so you have to talk about these places that other people are going to be talking about and being interested in seeing when they come here. Yeah, there's this, there's some, it's hard to, as you say, you know, it needs to be that balance because there, there are, you know, there are people who are going to remember that town name simply because of the awful, awful, awful things that happened there. Um, but, you know, some good has come out of it in terms of, you know, remembering that loss and it's, it's sparked conversations about, you know, public policy and, and that kind of a thing. But I think, I think you're right. I think it needs to be a balance of that, and that's part of the balance that we try to um, include. It's just not um, all the places that traditional guidebooks, like there's a million guidebooks if you want to learn about Salem or Boston, and while there's many, many important sites associated with those too, um, but as you say, there are modern tragedies that are still happening. Uh, Sandra, were there any stories, uh, you know, kind of... uh uh, behind-the-scenes stories where, you know, there, there might have been a bad experience or not paranormally speaking, but just uh, any any kind of, like, like blooper reel stuff that you could share with us. Blooper reel stuff. Because <laughs> I know, well, you know, visiting these places, it doesn't always go the way that you expect that it's going to go. Did we have any of that? Gosh, I'm trying to think um, what a good example would be for that. Let's see. Let me think now for a sec. I mean, we really fully, I, I mostly enjoyed every place that we've been. Um, well, that's I have not- an idea, Sandra. There's this, there is a, um, the Eunice B. Williams Bridge, covered bridge. There's a ah, ghost story associated yeah. with that. We tried on multiple, multiple occasions to go to that, um, to have it en route if we wanted to feature the story. Um, and every single time we tried to go, there would be a reason that we could not, whether it was a 2000 bicycle bike race that literally <laughs> was driving straight through it or it flooded away one time. I mean, it, we went all the way around the area to, to go in from an opposite direction and we were completely blocked by how many 2000 bicycles. Oh yeah. It, it was a race. Um, or a ride it's like any way that we try to get to that bridge it was it was blocked to us on so any day, we don't think we're supposed any, to go there we tried multiple <laughs> trying to get there and it just couldn't happen i don't know i mean i guess obviously we weren't supposed to be there right now you know at that time <laughs> i don't know when we'll be able to get there <laughs> Well, I mean that—that's pretty much, you know, that's how it goes. Like, there's, there's always going to be those stories. Like, you know, we've talked with some of our friends who have written similar books in the past. You know, you go out to—I uh, ex- think it was Chris Balzano that was going out looking for places for um, one of his books, and uh, he rips the oil pan on his car, and Ooh. and his engine seizes on uh, on on Copacut Road in the Freetown State Forest. And, uh, you know, Andrew Lake goes around and runs into some trouble when he's out there trying to compile stuff for ghost hunting southern New England. So it seems like, you know, the New England area knows when you're out there trying to chronicle these things, and it, and it has its way of kind of pushing back a little bit. Agreed. I love that. It did, yeah. Another interesting, uh, while we're talking about these types of things, not really a, a negative or a blooper reel type thing, but when we had gone to, up to... Um, Indian Head in Lincoln, New Hampshire, um, 
the area uh, that's mem- the Betty and Barney Hill incident, mm-hmm. where they actually ha- actually have a state marker there. Um, we just happened to be there on the weekend that they were having a psychic fair, which seemed a little funny to us. <laughs> um, and I did try to get a reading, but couldn't get in. They were booked. That's pretty um, good. I thought it was, huh? You're going up there to explore, you know, America's first documented UFO abduction, and you end up yeah. running into a psychic fair. How right. perfect is that? <laughs> you were so funny. <laughs> Well, and, and but those, that's the, the great thing about New England is we have those kind of stories. You know, you, you can go to a places where there were uh, there was a famous UFO abduction. You can go to a place where there's a famous haunting. You can go to a place like the International Cryptozoology Museum where there's everything yeah. that you could possibly need to know about cryptids. Um, it, it, we just we run the gamut here of all these different types of phenomena. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's never never a dull moment. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, I kind of asked, uh, you, you know, your favorite and your favorite experiences, but I'll ask each of you, Summer, where's one per If you're going to tell somebody who's not from New England, they can come here for one day and check out one place, where do you tell them to go? Oh. What encapsulates New England and its, and its, and its notorious places uh, for an Salem. outsider? It's always going to be Salem for me. I just, you know, probably... From my earliest experiences to Salem, it, it's some place that I could go and spend, you know, endless time in and never get sick of. So I think if somebody was going to come and do one thing in New England, it would it would have to be a day trip to Salem and to do some of the kind of um, true history things um, and visit the historic cemeteries, but also to have some fun in the witchy the witchy hokey kind of um, bewitched memorial kind of kind of visitation too very cool sandra how about yourself is that me yeah how about yourself so i'm going to um i'm going to turn the tables and say i would have to suggest that they go to longfellow's wayside Inn. oh my favorite (laughs) because of the historical factor um i mean it's over 300 years old, and we were lucky enough to go back and, and have a, another visit during that anniversary, which is really, really cool. Um, it's just, I mean, to see part of the Boston Post Road that, you know, George Washington had been on, all of these historical people had ridden on, that's just super amazing to me, that alone. Um you know, and then then and just the historical pieces of the property, the grist mill, the um, the inn itself. You know, and when you when you learn about the history of it, starting off as a, a private home and then turning into the Red Horse Inn and that sort of thing. So interesting, and all the people that had been through there. And I have to say that that of all the haunted places that I've ever slept. I always, multiple times, I get the best night's sleep in room nine. I'm really excited. <laughs> Jerusha is lovely, is a lovely hostess. <laughs> I love room nine. <laughs> Well, uh, and it's certainly, it is a, a place that is just a, a picturesque New England location. You know, it's something that could be from a, a postcard or a jigsaw puzzle. Yes. 
All right. Well, I want to thank you, ladies, for joining us. Again, the name of the book is Notorious New England, A Travel Guide to Tragedy and Treachery. You can get it from Schiffer Publishing. Uh, they can pretty much get it wherever uh, books are sold. But do you, do you guys have a website or, or some sort of a social media presence for the book? Uh, yes. Um, you can find us on all the social medias um, as uh, Scary New England. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you very much for, for joining us. And hopefully uh, we run into each other sometime in, in one of these places. Very much so. That would be great. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. All right. So thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you, guys. And we right. will talk Bye. to you again soon. That is Sandra Grawl and Summer Paradise, the authors of Notorious New England. Again, it's, uh, it, it's available from Schiffer Publishing. You can get it wherever books are sold. And uh, right now we are watching the, the Dodgers try to mount a comeback here. Stop it. Don't you say that. As the, the Red Sox went up, uh, what, 9-4 to four in the top of the ninth and now it's the bottom of the ninth the Dodgers are coming back I was going to say you know that top of the ninth inning like that would have broken the Dodgers and you would see the Red Sox just roll to victory tomorrow night right but it seems like the Dodgers have a little bit of life left in them we'll see what happens no, the problem is that Kimbrell can't get his stuff together and close out the game properly well I love my socks I'm I'm pretty much I'm not a huge I fan am. anymore I don't. I, I. I. They lost me a bit a couple of years ago, and I haven't really come back to it. So, I do get wrapped up in these games, though. It's it, they're fun, they're exciting. Um, one thing I will say is that, uh, you know, it seems like they're they have a very good chemistry as a team. They do, and and so don't the guests that we had tonight, Sandra and Sarah. Yes. They seem like a great pair, and you know, I'm thinking maybe maybe we maybe we get together with them and pop around and do some stuff at some of these places that'd be cool you know there's there's a this is a great book for like i said just throwing it in the car jumping in the car going on a weekend trip finding you know a lot of these places you can stay there and spend a night or spend the weekend and get out there and explore and and we have that opportunity for you as well of course with some of the events that we do and some of the different things that we have planned and of course we'll have more of that stuff coming up in 2019 i uh i don't want to let the cat out of the bag but uh we may be working on some some uh, some new stuff, some new places. Some new stuff. Yeah, new places that we've never been to before. Um, so we'll be looking into that uh, next year as well. I want to say, though, I've been going out and doing like these library lectures and, and talking mm-hmm. to these different places. And last Sunday, I was at the Symes House in uh, in Plymouth in Manomet. How was the it? The village of Manomet. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, it's it, they're refurbishing this place, mm-hmm. and so there's like doctors' offices and stuff upstairs. So you really can't go explore the upstairs. Um, it's kind of limited where you can investigate. But we gathered everybody on the first floor, and I was trying to take people through the different kinds of equipment that we use to investigate and we started things off with the dowsing rods and i'm usually don't i mean i have success with the dowsing rods but i don't really get into um like a lot of communication with them Mm -hmm. but we had one of the coolest dowsing rod sessions that i've ever had in that house where we had two people standing at the front of the room each with their own set of rods Mm -hmm. the person who is in charge of the house said that she has encountered a little girl that she calls Emma and that she thought that there was, like, another male presence there. So we actually were were asking the male to move one set of rods and Emma to move the other set of the rods. And when we asked questions, like, mm-hmm. they would they would do that. Like, they would respond and only move the rods that we asked them to use. And it was really cool because I've never seen that happen before. 
I could go into a t- an entire um, argument for how that happened without spirit communication. But why is that? How, how would that be? Because the dowsing rods are moved by your own energy and your own aura field. Right. Well, they can be, but but you know when when you think about it. And that's what you're focusing on. You can move it with your mind too. I, I've moved it with my mind, no doubt, mm-hmm. because I, I also have moved it with my very shaky hands so too. It's tough when you don't. <laughs> yeah, that too. You've seen me try to hold on to those, <laughs> right? But when you, it'd be cool to see how that would work if you blindfolded the person that was holding them, similar to the Estes method. I do have two blindfolds in my. But I have, have two to, bandanas in my bucket. You would have to um, either, you know get noise-canceling headphones, or you'd have to point and say, can you do these to see if it would be spirit energy? Because it's very easy to move them with your own mind and your own energy, but dowsing rods are a great tool to detect your actual aura. But uh, I did, So they're going to move anyways. I did talk to them about maybe having you come and visit okay. and, uh, and doing some stuff over there because, uh, you know, they're, they're very interested in the psychic side of things. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I know just the psychic for you. So well, then. you'll have to get over there and check it out. And it's not that far from that historical house that i was telling you about you would, you oh, would really? drive right by it on the way there cool so maybe we can get in there i have the opportunity to check out a house for sale that they say is at least from 1690 but maybe from 1660 and one of the realtor who is who's trying to sell that house just happened to be at this event and she took me over there to check out the house so if you're in the market for a very very old house uh and and you're you're looking to take care of a place you know hit me up tim at spooky south com, and i can I can provide you some information, but the the deal is, if I'm going to hook you up with this and <laughs> connect it, you have to let me come in and hang out there because I'm in love with it. I know you and are, I, and I want to buy it. But I was saying, I was saying to Stephanie, you know, if I had won the Powerball, I did buy a ticket. I never buy lottery tickets, but I bought a ticket just because I fell in love with this house the night before, and I was like, maybe, maybe it's just meant to be. Maybe, it's and just I'll win the Powerball, and I can just buy the house. Well, if, Although, you, if, if you win the Powerball, you have to remember who your favorite psychic is. If you won $1.6 billion, mm-hmm. like you could go buy any house that you wanted, mm-hmm. I still would have bought you that house. You still would have. Yes, I know you. So it just would have been one of the many in my collection of places where I could live. You're not one to make silly purchases either. Oh, I'll make a lot of silly purchases. I know. I just, I'm, you know, I'm just not going to go buy a house like on a, on a Caribbean right. island because I could care just less because. about that. You know, maybe I'd go uh, for a week's vacation or something, but uh, you know, eh, I'm good. I don't need to have a I don't need to have a house in St. Croix or wherever people buy houses. Nah. Like, nah. I'm, nah, I'm, I'm that fine. wouldn't be my first choice. I'd sooner like I'd, I'd sooner buy a house in the mountains. That's that's more my jam. But uh, that'll do it for this week's show. Uh, we will be back next week, although I may be a little bit late because uh, I have a wrestling event. And uh, and I've, I've had it. I, you know, I've really had it with the Thunder from Down Under, Michael Foster. Have you? Yep. He lost his 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 contractually obligated rematch after losing his House of Bricks title okay. to Justin Coco Silvia. So he sneaks into the Battle Royal last night dressed as Captain Australia. And I catch wind of this while I'm at work. And somebody's texting me about it and saying, I think Foster's in this, going on this match under a mask. So I had to leave work early, stop by there, and try to in- interject myself to stop it from happening. But I'm going to be keeping an eye on him uh, this coming Saturday at the VFW Poirier Post for Veteran Slam as House of Bricks Pro Wrestling tries to raise money to help with local veterans. And so I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be the ring announcer, and I'm going to keep an eye on Foster. So 
I'll probably be a little late because I am not going to put up with any of his hijinks. I'm going to rip that mask off of him and prove to the world that uh, Captain Australia is the thunder from down under Michael Foster and that he should not be allowed to have another title match. This sounds serious. Are you going to make it? Oh, Oh, Are you yeah. gonna come out like unscathed? Well, I hope so. I'm not allowed. To <laughs> I don't like that. I'm not allowed to touch him. See, that's the that's the problem. He can put his hands on me. Well, why can't you touch him? Because I'm contractually obligated in my contract not to put my hands on the wrestlers. It says that I that's cannot dirty. physically put my hands on the wrestlers, or I could be fined, suspended, or fired. So how are you gonna get the? Uh... But he should he should have that same stipulation, right? But yet they still allow him to. To uh, to rough me up all the time, and I've complained about it to House of Bricks Commissioner John Cena Sr. He doesn't do anything about it. Uh, I've complained about it to the House of Bricks Championship Committee. They don't do anything about it. Listen, I, I love doing these shows, and I, I love doing uh, helping out with these charities and, and raising money for all these worthy causes, but enough's enough. At, at some point, I'm just going to be pushed past my limit, and then uh, then Foster, I might have to you know take the chance. As I, I, I cut a promo last night for House of Bricks Turnbuckle TV, and I said right in that promo, I think maybe if that's what it says in my contract, I think maybe it's time to have my contract renegotiated. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that'll be next Saturday night if anybody wants to come and check it, check out that event uh, before Spooky South Coast starts. But then I'll be here afterwards, and we can get into some more paranormal fun as uh, we have Halloween coming up in just a few days. We do. So it's, so exciting. It's our Christmas. So I hope everybody out there has a great and happy Halloween. I hope that uh, you all have a spectacular night filled with lots of candy. Parents, remember what my grandfather used to say, that when you're over 40, you have a special ability to detect which kind of candy is poison just by looking at it. So when the kids come back from trick-or-treating, have them dump it out on the table and you pick out which ones you think are poison, and then put them in a pile for yourself, and you can actually eat those because the poisons do not work on grown-ups. That's what my grandfather would always tell us. So until next week, we want you all to stay spooktacular and have a happy Halloween. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? you love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store.